Good morning. If you got your Bibles, we are going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 5. Mark, chapter 5. Hocklander, go ahead and start that clock for me. That way I don't get in trouble and we can still beat the Methodists today for lunch. All right, there you go. So Mark, chapter 5. To review just a little bit, the last uh, series that we have been doing and what we'll finish up today is the app that works. The app that works, and the kind of way I started off is there's nothing uh, worse than getting an app, especially if you bought it, and it actually doesn't do what it says it's supposed to do. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody feel my pain? You know, you get one of those apps, and you kind of want it to work, and it doesn't do what it says it do. That kind of bugs me. Uh, I want to know that. Then, of course, you can let them know that, but that really bugs me. So here's the deal. The app that works is this book that's some 2,000 years old. And the truth is, is that we're all here this morning thinking, praying, hoping, desiring that this book and its content is real and that what it says will actually work in our lives. And if it does, then that helps us to make decisions based upon God and his existence, and his son Jesus, and what's told us about Jesus, and the way that we live our life. If it's not all real, then we're just looking at this as religion, and here's this good book that has good values, got some good things to to live your life by, um, but in the truth, does it really change anything? And the truth is that our desire is that our lives would truly make a difference. And what God tells us is that we have a purpose and that each one of us um, has a purpose and that there is a plan for our life. And of course, our quest is, well, what is that purpose? What is that plan? How do I find that out? What is, what is God's will for my life? What is that? And then here's this pursuit, this journey of what we consider this life that we're looking for. And, and how, how does that all transpire into making us happy? And yet at the same time, does the Bible say that we're all going to be happy? And that everything always turns out like we think it should turn out. John the Baptist, here's the guy who is telling about the Messiah coming, about Jesus coming, and his thoughts were in that kingdom about Jesus, I'm going to be his right-hand man. I am telling everybody about him coming and he's going to have this kingdom on earth and I'm going to be like his right-hand guy, John the Baptist. And so he proclaimed and told and, and, and told about the Messiah, Jesus that was coming. And in the end, does anybody know what happened to John the Baptist? Somewhere along the way, by the way, this should tell us about women a little bit. He got a woman mad at him. And when the king of that particular kingdom where John the Baptist was running around said to this woman, whatever you want done, she said, I'd like the head of John the Baptist. So guess how John the Baptist ended his life? Not at the right hand of the father having this incredible kingdom he was helping. He got his head chopped off. John the Baptist. Hey, let's all sign up for that kind of Christianity, right? That sounds exciting. So we have this journey, this life, and we're all going like, well, well, there's things that happen in the Bible, and you go like, well, that's, that's, that was kind of sad. I mean, that's some hard stuff that they went through. Guess what? We're all going through some hard stuff. 
Some of those days are incredible days, and some of those days are very difficult days in our life. And what I've found as the pastor of a church is that we all have some stuff. Elizabeth's side of the family, they've really got some stuff. But what I've found out is that my side of the family has some stuff too. And then, and then we kind of bring that stuff together. I kind of call that luggage. We bring that luggage into our lives and we try to say, hey, we want our lives to be different. And yet, here's some of the family stuff. And we need it unpacked and we, and we need it dealt with and, and we need to understand. And then, and then through all this, he says, hey, I want you to love each other and care for each other. So we look, we look to the scripture and we look for, in this context, the app that will work, something that will help us in our life and, and, and what that means. And so kind of dropping back to a few of the, the sermons before, we find out of James one twenty two. but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. So the first thing I want us to remember back and to understand is, you guys, we can come here and we can listen to the Scripture. We, we can read the Bible. You can be in 10 Bible studies. You can be in whatever groups you want to that are learning all about it. And you can have an incredible knowledge of God and still not have a deep relationship with God. He says, don't just be hearers of it. Don't just read about it. Don't just listen to God's Word. What are you going to do with it? What's your part? What is my part that I have? And then last week we looked in Romans 12, 1. He says, I urge you, I beg of you to present your bodies, to surrender your life. And the truth is, is that most of us only surrender our life truly over to God when there's something that's desperate happening in our life. Somebody in our, our family is getting a divorce. Somebody has cancer. Somebody has this problem or that problem. And in that, and in that time of need, then, then we say, Lord, whatever you want. I kind of call it, let's make a deal. Right? Lord, what, hey, okay, God, I promise. Church every Sunday for the next six months. Or whatever they ask me to do, I'll do it. And so we sort of make a deal with God. Lord, I, I, I want that. But it's usually out of some kind of point of desperation in our life. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with those points of desperation. In those points of desperation, we, we should turn to the very thing that's true. And that we know where we're going to get our support and understanding. But what's our part? How do we truly surrender? And in, the, in the game of cards, it usually has to do with you saying, I'm all in. And most of us are all in until it maybe asks of us something more than that. And I used a reference last week. It's going like, man, when we surrender all of our life to God, we, we say, I'm all in, God, whatever you want to do. And yet we have in the back of our mind, if we're all in and do whatever God wants us to do, then we'll end up like that college girl that we had on the screen named Jill that said, Lord, I'm all in, whatever you want to do, I want to do that. And the next thing we know, she's in Africa and we're supporting her as a church. And we're going like... Okay, I'm all in, but I don't want to go to Africa. Right? Because when we think of all in, we, we think God's going to do something crazy radical with you. By the way, when you're all in with God, He usually does something crazy radical with you. Why? Because you're giving everything that you have to Him. And saying, hey Lord, what would you like to do with my life rather than what I would like to do with my life? Y'all remember me? 
last week I'm, I'm kind of good about, hey, Lord, here's a good plan. Would you check off on that and sign off? And what the Lord's really asking me, Jonathan, is, Lord, here's a blank piece of paper. What do you want to do with my life? Well, that's a little fearful. That, that's scary. That's, God is in total control, right? That's, that's not easy to do. And yet that's what he tells us out of Romans 12 is that, that, that he wants everything. And so he tells us out of Romans 12 that we were supposed to check our motive. Let's check our motive. What, what is the reason you're here at church today? Why are you really here? I mean, it's a good southern thing to do, right? We come to church, punch the holy card, everybody kind of sees us, and they go like, hey, church goer, right? Okay, so we do it that. Why else? There's, you know, I mean, girls, thank y'all for showing up. The college girls are here. That usually helps the college guys to get here. So thank y'all. Why are y'all here? Why do you come to church? By the way, my dad always used to say, low motive is better than no motive. So if college girls gets the college guys here, I'm okay with that. Low motive is better than no motive. You know why? Because at least they'll hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. At church. Where else are they going to hear it? Why are you here? In Romans, he also tells us that we need to expect if we're truly, I mean, if, if we're truly surrendering everything to God, then we need to expect some difficulty. We need to expect some pushback, some, some struggle that happens in our life. In fact, what we're about to read in Mark, you'll see some of that struggle that's happening. And then he tells us in Romans 12 as well that we're supposed to put others before ourselves. Well, that's sometimes hard to do because, as you know, if it weren't for people, we would all love our jobs. Hello? Right? People can sometimes be annoying and pushy and everything. We're supposed to put others before ourselves. And then he tells us to end in the book of Romans out of 12. He says that, that we're supposed to follow our example of Christ. That that's what we're supposed to do. And then if y'all remember two weeks ago, out of John 15, he says that we're supposed to abide in him. And if we'll abide in him, if this part's right with God, then this part with people will be right. So that means if this part's right with God, then my relationship with my wife is going to be right. It's going to be right with, with my brother, with my cousin with some of my coworkers, if this is right, because he's going to convict me of things that aren't right here between us. And so he says that we're supposed to be connected to him correctly, abide in him, the branch and the vine. And then he goes on to say this in John fifteen five. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, can I... Pull y'all into an old traditional thing that you guys quote this with me. John 15, 5. Apart from me, you can do... Oh, y'all are almost there. That was really weak. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Hey, listen, are you at a place in your life where you really think you can do it without God. You know what? I'll work harder. 
I'll work smarter. I'll, I'll gather some people together. We'll, we'll do it this way. We'll do it that way. Guys, apart from him, we can do nothing. Well, hey, I've got this part figured out. Well, how long is that going to be figured out for you? Because he says, apart from him, we can do nothing. Some reason, in our grand scheme of things, through the church life, we've, we've somehow made it this scale. And if, if we do enough good in our life, and here's this scale, then we're going to tip the scale, and we'll be okay, and we'll be in heaven. And again, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And yet that's what we feel. Well, if I'll just do enough good things, it'll be okay. And that's not what he says. In fact, in the Old Testament, he says that our very best is as filthy what? Rags. You mean I shouldn't try? No, I'm not saying you shouldn't try. I'm saying that that because of sin... Our very best is as filthy rags, and it can't be looked any differently except through Jesus Christ. And if you, if you grew up like me in a, in a, in a, in a good, um, conservative, incredible Bible-believing, thumping church, then, then I had this impression that was on my mind, is that at the end of my life, I get to heaven, and all of a sudden, there's this huge movie screen that's going to be up there, and then every aspect of my life is going to be seen by everybody. Anybody heard that one before? So we're all going to have this movie screen, and all I can think about when I'm hearing that in my mind is, oh my gosh, ninth grade, Toya Thrash's house. I really don't want y'all to see that. Oh, great. My freshman year, with that group of guys, I really, surely, mom and dad, Lord, is is there a littler screen? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Do y'all know and realize that Jesus Jesus died? So there's not this worry about this screen. That Jesus steps in front of me and looks at his father and says, Hey God, this is... Jonathan, he's part of the family. At 14 years old, he and I began a relationship together. And he's, he's part of the family. And that Jesus died for all of my sins. The ones I did at Toya's house, the ones I did as a freshman, the ones yesterday I did when I lost it on my kids at the house. That he died for all of my sins. And he died for all of your sins. And all of mankind's sin. So that you and I have, have the opportunity through a relationship with him to be united with God the Father. That we might be with him in eternity for life. And that's what Jesus did for us. And he says he wants us to surrender everything. To give everything to him. And, and apart from him, I can do nothing. And that's what I find in him. And then last week we also talked about that, that God has, um, he has a plan for each one of us. And that each one of us has a shape. And if you remember what that is, I'll give it to you real quick. The, the S is that each one of you has a spiritual gift. And a spiritual gift is this, it's what you do. And that the scripture actually has spiritual gifts that, that you can see what you do. 
And then there's the H, the heart. It's where you do that. Where is your heart? And where do you exercise that spiritual gift to use it for God's benefit? And the A is your ability. It's your regular talents. It's your God-given talent that, that he's put in you, whether that's to be able to, to actually play up here and carry a tune. I couldn't even carry a tune in a bucket. I'm so bad at that stuff. That's funny. There you go. Okay. Your abilities. And then... P is your personality. It's who you are. It's what you're about. Some of us are extroverts. Some of us introverts. How does God use that all together to to make up this body of Christ? Because we all can't be a big toe. We all can't be an eye. We all can't be a hand, a foot. We're all made differently that we make up the body of Christ to be used together for his glory, for his kingdom. And then the E on the shape is our, our experiences. No matter where you're at in your life, how young, how old, there's already experiences that you have that you're able to relate to, understand, and use for God's benefit. And he says that's our shape. That's, that's, that's how we are formed and how we can use in the, be used in the body of Christ. And he says this in Psalms 138.7, that the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. His purpose for me. So turn with me to the book of Mark and let's look at this guy, that there was a purpose for this guy's life. It's in chapter 5. We'll go ahead and start. Uh, we'll start uh, right there at verse 2 and we'll go through it and then we'll make some reference to it and be finished uh, this morning with uh, kind of a way I want to end our service with a, a little bit of uniqueness. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. This man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, he, um, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. That's, by the way, the first place of cutting that we find in the world. Verse 6, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and he bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, this is the man, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me, for Jesus had already said to the spirit, this is Jesus speaking, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are so many of this inside. And Legion basically means 6,000. So there were 6,000 demons. So the scariest movie you've ever seen that has some kind of spooky demon stuff, there was 6,000 of these. Do y'all get it? Like, really fearful. 6,000. My name is Legion because there are so many. Then the evil spirits begged him again, the evil spirits begging Jesus again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs. By the way, these are not razorbacks, so we're okay. Large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirit begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the entire herd of 2,000 pigs plunged down to the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, listen, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. 
This is also our first reference to a streaker in the Bible. This guy was crazy and used to have his clothes off running down the streets and screaming and yelling stuff. Y'all get the picture. Crazy dude. Pigs. Nakedness. It's not a pretty picture, okay? Then those who had seen what happened, listen to this. Then those who had seen what happened, verse 16, told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. Hey, we don't want to read about this or hear about this stuff, do we? Why? That's scary. You start looking for Satan, you're going to find him, and okay, that's kind of Jonathan, that's good. Ooh, evil stuff. They started pleading with Jesus, go away, leave them alone. As Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Isn't that an awesome sight? This guy's life had been taken away from him. And the man who changed, who transformed his life, he started begging, can I go with you? Can I go with you? And then here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of the region and began to proclaim the great things that Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he had told them. So there's several things. First thing is, who is this guy? Hey, first of all, he's, he's somebody's son. And because he has a family, the, the premonition is that he, he's somebody's husband and he's somebody's dad. And he's gone off his rocker because he's been possessed by all these demons. Bad place to be. And then in verse 3, it starts talking about where he dwelled. Where did he dwell? Amongst the dead. And around the tombs. Scary place. Gross. And that's physically what we think. But here's what we see spiritually is you guys, what he did is he started hanging out in the world and being around the world. And you guys, you and I do the same thing. We start, we start hanging out with dead people spiritually and their influence has more of an effect than our influence as Christians on them. And so that's what he started. He started hanging out with the wrong kind of people. And as a result, they began to have the influence of evil and the spirits and the demons. That's what happened to this guy. And so we have to be careful about the kind of people we hang out. We're supposed to be salt. We're supposed to be light, right? That's what the Bible tells us. But you better believe and you better know and you better be strong enough to be able to handle that. Because otherwise, the world has more influence on us than we're having on them and him. In verse 4, it said, no man could tame him. He was breaking his shackles. He was breaking his handcuffs. No man could tame him. Verse 5, he was continually crying. He was up in the graveyards and crying and whining and weird and crazy. It was nuts. And then where we talk about the cutting, he was abusing himself. He was cutting himself. He, the demons had possessed him and he, and he didn't like himself. Didn't like what he was about. But then look what the Lord's done for him. The demons were afraid of Jesus. And in Mark 16, 17, it actually says this. The miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name and they will speak in new languages. 
Listen to this closely. They will cast out demons in my name. They're not, they're not casting out demons in the name of the assembly of God. They're not casting out demons in the name of the Baptists. They're not casting out demons in the name of the Catholics. They're not casting out demons in the Episcopalia's name or, 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 the, or, or, or whatever denomination you want. They're not casting out demons in the name of those denominations. They're casting out names in the, in the, in the, casting out demons in the name of what? Jesus. Do we understand that this morning? That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Not the name of the church at Arkansas. Not, not the name of Central Methodist. Not the name of, of Christian Life Cathedral. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. See, that's the big C. Big church. And we need to understand that it's the name of Jesus that transforms lives. Oh, I pray our church is used, and I pray that our, our church is used in this community and on the campus at the U of A, that, that we have a great reputation, that, that people say, man, oh man, if you go to that church, here's what God can do and will do and should do in your life. But it's at the name of Jesus at what we preach, not the name of the church at Arkansas. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And that's what this man saw, and that's what happened to him. And then in verse 19, and this is how we'll finish up this morning. Uh, look with me over there real quick. At verse 19, it says this, but, but Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell everything that the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. And then that's what the man did. He had a story. It's not necessarily, you guys, what what you're trained to do or what experience you have or you don't have here. It, 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 it's about your story. And every single one of us and every single one of you this morning has a story. And if you don't have a story about you and your relationship with Jesus, then that's what he desires is that you have a story. Because if you have a story, just like this man, he didn't have a whole lot of experience in being a follower of Christ, did he? All he knew is what Jesus did for him, which was what? Change his life. It transformed him from a person who was filled with demons to a person who had freedom. And that was looked at differently even by the townspeople, that something had changed in him. You and I have a story this morning. And when we talk about this app that works and we talk about that God has a plan for your life and there's, there's a portion of this that's a personal ministry. What is it that burns in your heart? What is it that, you're, that you desire? What is it that, that seems to be something that you want to do? And it's greater than you and it's for God's sake. It's for his kingdom and it's about him and what he desires. Gosh, Jonathan, if I do that, that's scary because what if he sends me to Africa? What if he sends you to Africa? If you watched the video of Jill last week, did she seem too upset that she was in Africa? She was blessed about what God was doing with her. What does God want you to do? What is he asking? What is, what is he presenting to you to do? That's what we want to see this morning. Psalms 138.7, the Lord will fulfill his purpose in your life. Everybody can't do everything, but everybody can do what? 
something. What does the Lord want to do in your life?